Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty. And a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. When I was younger, I used to think, oh, I'm going to be an editorial cartoonist. This is going to be great, blah, blah, blah. But there's no demand for it. All the newspapers are firing their cartoonists. All the cartoonists are like old. You know, after like the Charlie Hebdo thing, it sort of became briefly fashionable for everybody to sort of pretend that they loved editorial cartooning. But cartoon is like, it's a dead industry. Like I'm, I'm really kind of like moving away from it. JJ McCullough, political cartoonist for The Nib, freelance writer, pundit on CTV and The Late Sun News, conservative gay guy, anything else? Yeah, I'm a political columnist as well for my own site. I used to be a columnist for the Huffington Post. So JJ, welcome to Shortcuts. Thank you. This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to you by Christopher Wilton, Natasha McKenna, Janice Purdy, Jim Ropek, Jen, Mark Bolasmiak, Mathieu Gavin, Victoria Nelson, Aidan Conway, Luke Nichols, and FreshBooks. FreshBooks are back as a Canada Land sponsor, the first sponsor ever. They helped me get this thing off the ground. I couldn't be more thrilled. I still use this service. Cloud accounting with FreshBooks, the easy-to-use invoicing solution designed for small business owners. So you're a freelancer. Do you like do invoices in like Microsoft Word, or, do, or what do you use? Oh, yeah. I just do it in Word. It's it's dreadful. It's horrible. I didn't compel you to say that. It is horrible. It is dreadful. And then you've got all these Microsoft Word files, uh, you know, hanging around. And I, I, I like how in FreshBooks, it just crunches all of your year's invoices. And you can see this is how much you made. This is what was expenses. This is the tax. This is what has yet to be collected. And the other feature that I, I keep mentioning, because it's my favorite feature, is I used to go 
And if I was doing something on the road, I would have like a wallet bursting with expense receipts. I get a receipt, I take a picture of it, and I just quickly tag what kind of receipt it is, and I throw out the paper. And then I get like 10 receipts at the end of a trip, and I want to expense for it, and I just say, make this into an invoice. And FreshBooks does that for me, converts it into an invoice, and sends it right to the client. So I like FreshBooks. FreshBooks is supporting this show, and you can go check them out at freshbooks.com. Sign up free for 30 days when you tell them that you were sent by Canada Land. FreshBooks cloud accounting, super simple to use. Thanks, guys. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I'm not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. Pick and pay up front with a cost down the line. CTV National News with Lisa LaFlamme. Good evening. We begin tonight with a double-edged sword, a decision made by the CRTC that will have far-reaching and uncertain outcome for consumers and for the people who work in the TV industry. Cable and satellite providers like Bell, the company that owns this network, will be forced to change the way they charge for the channels you watch. It's something consumers have demanded. But as CTV's Ottawa Bureau Chief Robert Fife reports, it may be a case of careful what you wish for. When questioned, the CRTC boss conceded that staff in the TV industry will lose their jobs when channels disappear. There will be job loss. But will there be savings for consumers? Lawson Hunter is a former Bell executive and former chair of the Competition Bureau. There will be less Canadian channels once this system is completely rolled out, and that could have a detrimental effect on jobs in the production industry. <laughs> okay. So, JJ, that was... Uh, a pretty torqued bit of Canadian news coverage from CTV, which is owned by Bell, which was completely ruled against by the CRTC. So there's CTV saying it's a double-edged sword. 
It's It's got a far-reaching and uncertain outcome. People are going to lose jobs. And then we hear from a former Bell executive saying that people are going to lose jobs. And JJ, I'm going to tell you why that was actually a triumph of CTV journalism. <laughs> As revealed by James Bradshaw in the Globe and Mail today, the fact that CRTC chairman Blaise was in that piece at all was in direct contradiction to Bell Media boss Kevin Krull, okay? So when Blaise came out against Bell uh, and and the interview started on CTV News, which Bell owns, Kevin Krull uh, got on the phone with Wendy Freeman, who runs CTV News, and said, I don't want to see this guy on our coverage telling his side of the story at all today. And this was the most – I think this was the most direct proof of interference in the news process – Within Canada's consolidated media companies where you've got these tele- these giant telecom companies that are also our news organs using their news organs to basically propagandize their own policy initiatives and business initiatives and suppress the other side of it. I suppose I should first start by saying I do collect a regular paycheck from, from CTV, although I would like to think I can still be a neutral observer on this. I do think that propagandize is a little bit hard. I think what happened was a man was throwing a bit of a temper tantrum and was being rather petulant. I mean, he wasn't saying we won't discuss this issue at all. He was just sort of had a bee in his bonnet about the the chairman himself and seemed to want to do something vindictive and mean-spirited to just prevent him from getting on the air. Well, I think that that's a a very reasonable conclusion based on the story reported today. I think we're going to see in days ahead that there has been a pattern of, of interference uh, from Bell on the coverage of all CRTC issues. We're going to hear, I mean, I've been, I, I give like a tip of the hat to James Bradshaw. I mean, that is an astonishing story in the Globe and Mail. I've been hearing from people at Business News Network, at CTV for uh, months and, and even years, because I was covering this stuff before at Search Engine, that when stories are against Bell's interest, they are treated incredibly differently than any other business story. And there's a whole different editorial process they go through, and it sickens a lot of the journalists there, the favorable coverage that CTV and Business News Network uh, have to give to Bell. Wendy Freeman, you know, she was given her marching orders, no more CRTC chairman on the airwaves today, and uh, an interview was pulled, and Don Martin, whether he knew about it or not, you know, that interview was canceled. You know, news coverage removed uh, Blaise from the coverage. And then it got to Lisa Laflamme, and Robert Fife on the CTV Evening News last Thursday. They went against their boss. They went against Kevin Krull. You know, I do sympathize, though, with the man. I, I do sympathize with, with the president of Bell because I just feel it must be such a maddening world to live in if, if, you have, if you're working in the Canadian, uh, you know, telecommunications industry. Like, just the idea, I mean, it's, it's essentially the, the sort of this dilemma that comes with working in what is essentially still a kind of Soviet-style socialist economic model in which you do have people at the top, you know, people, the bosses of the CRTC, who are essentially making political decisions, not in the sense of partisan or ideological decisions, but they are decisions that are coming from an, a, uh, an institution of the government, making these decisions in sort of like an erratic, unpredictable way that has massive consequences for your business. And I think for like, uh, you know, Chairman Blaze, as much as he's this sort of like beloved folk hero now, he does come out and just sort of makes these random decisions based on what he perceives to be fair, or what he perceives to be in the consumer interest as some sort of powerful bureaucrat. And that just must be a very frustrating and very maddening world to live in. And even though I do think that the guy acted in a very sort of childish way, as I said, I can certainly sympathize with where he's coming from. 
It must be so frustrating to be an executive in Canadian telecom, the meddling bureaucrats telling you how to do your business. It's a crazy erratic system because it is, as I said, it's like it's still this kind of like old fashioned Soviet style uh, sort of closed economic centrally planned industry in which you do have bureaucrats dictating the terms of an industry that is, you know, completely at odds with any sort of market forces that would ordinarily dictate the shape of these sorts of things. Yeah, I mean, you know, live by protectionism, die by protectionism. And of course, this is all happening because Harper is, is pandering to the consumer with, you know, a, a couple of uh, dollars off your bill. And, and you know, and these are things that, that I think should happen. And I, I, I support those initiatives. I, I'm not blind to the political uh, goals in, in these kind of consumer agendas. That's fine. He should be doing that kind of stuff. But I mean, you know that tomorrow these huge uh, oligopolies would cease to exist in a, in a uh, unregulated telecom market. I mean, you know what? We can look at what what happened with when the free market hits Canadian media. This is today the Competition Bureau just uh, you know s- stepped back and said, "Hey, we got no problem. There's going to be no pesky government interference." Post media can gobble up Sun newspapers and the QMI news agency. And so now we have further consolidation of Canadian media where it's all owned by these American vulture funds, which, you know, couldn't give a fig if Canada has a vibrant media. They just want these exorbitant interest payments. They don't don't even necessarily trying to, like, draw a profit from their holdings. They're just juicing it. And that's preventing the market to evolve in Canada because they're still occupying a massive seat at the table and and, uh, sucking up all the advertising revenue. That still exists with traditional media, which isn't much, and it's it's uh, gumming up the works for new digital media enterprises. So that's a much more unregulated space in Canadian media, and it's it's not much more encouraging. It's it's certainly lots of fun here in Vancouver, where now three of our four daily newspapers are all going to be owned by uh, by Post Media. So I mean. The fact is that I think that some of this kind of stuff does get overstated somewhat. I mean, the idea that, you know, competition is, you know, never been worse. I mean, it was interesting watching the, the press conference in which they announced the, uh, you know, the, the approval of the competition bureau or whatever this morning. And then the guy, the, uh, the post media guy basically says something like, wow, you know, I kind of expected there to be more controversy about this. Like 10 years ago, you know, people would have been saying all sorts of things. But he, he even used, I think, the phrase at one point, the silence has been deafening. And the reason why the silence has been deafening is because people, you know, the fact is, is that fewer and fewer Canadians get their news exclusively from newspapers anymore. I mean, the vast majority of Canadians, though they still read the newspaper, they also get their news online. So the idea that that this is a sort of some nuclear winter of, of competition is just not borne out by reality. I mean, the, perhaps, yeah, the newspaper industry is becoming more and more cartel-like and more and more closed to new... Uh, to new entrants. But the fact is the online scene is thriving. I mean, you can get your news from so many different places. I mean, the guy himself even acknowledged that so many people are getting their news from social media these days. So I do think that it's kind of a limited and a somewhat dated storyline from the 90s to kind of just every time one of these mergers happens to throw the hands up and sort of say, oh, we've never had fewer choices. No, that's not true. Well, we've got more choices than ever. They're just not Canadian. The reason why it's not a nuclear winter and at the end to, uh, you know, people are reading more and more newspapers and they're just not Canadian. I mean, and, and you feel that in BC acutely, I think. Well, I mean, I, I want to read the news. I mean, I don't particularly care if it's a Canadian writing it or if it's an American writing it. I mean, if it's... Yeah, but you might I, care if it's about Canada or about America. If you, if you live in Canada, you might want news that's about the place you live in. And there will always be, uh, you know, as long as Canadians are interested in reading news about Canada, there will always be some uh, profit to be made by giving that to consumers. Oh, well, I think that there's value for massive companies to have... Uh, you know, communications departments disguised as news organizations. They're still producing news. I mean, CTV is still producing, you know, 
top quality coverage of Canadian politics and Canadian current affairs. I mean, Canadians are not starved for coverage about their own country. And I don't even really see any viable threat to that. I mean, I think that if, the, if we had a completely free market system, if we dismantled, you know, some of these sort of archaic things, the Competition Bureau and the CRTC and all the rest of the regulation, I think that Canadian news would still thrive. I mean, I think it's, I think it's something that we should give a chance. I think that this is the problem with a lot of Canadian conservatism is that if you're truly ideologically consistent and coherent you have to recognize that a lot of the conservative government affiliated big businesses in Canada are ever anything but unregulated free market enterprises. Absolutely. I mean, you can't, you, no one will be a true conservative in a, in a sort of closed socialist economic system, which as I said, is what sort of defines Canadian media. It is, a, you know, it's, it's sort of, when you use phrases like socialism and, and, you know, Soviet, as I did before, I mean, like, it's very easy to throw these terms around and sort of say that they're, oh, they're sensationalistic. But it is true. I mean, like, you do have a centrally planned model. And I think it fails in the same way that this kind of socialist economic model fails everywhere else, fails in Eastern Europe. It just has too many internal contradictions. And I think that what's happening right now is that we're kind of in, like, the perestroika phase, right? So you have someone like Chairman Blaze, who is kind of this Gorbachev-like figure, who's trying to allow for moderation, trying to allow for, you know, some free market reforms in what is essentially a closed system. But the internal contradictions are too stark. It is not sustainable in the long term. And I think it will collapse. And I think there ultimately will be a sort of glorious free market future. Just like what happened after perestroika. Absolutely. And then some sort of Putin-like guy will rise to power and he'll tell us all what to think. And it'll be great. JJ, I'm going to try something new this week, if you bear with me. I just realized this week that not everybody who listens to the show reads everything on the website. So I'm just going to give people a bit of an idea, especially because we're breaking stories with some regularity, what is on the website that people can go have a look at if they're, if they're curious uh, to read more about it. Just this week, we had three stories I want to tell you about. The first one, this documentary on volunteerism that mysteriously disappeared. It had been hyped by the CBC. It was supposed to air last week, and then it just didn't, and it was scrubbed from the CBC's website. We found out why, and we have posted the footage that got this documentary pulled from the air right before broadcast. It was pulled because Craig Kielberger and his organization, me to we this volunteerism group, complained about the piece. They raised concerns. We obtained the documentary. We saw how they were portrayed. And now you can see, if you go to the website, that article is up there. Also, a story about the internal investigation of Gian Gameshi at the CBC. We learned that Roberto Veri, who is the only person that we know of who has come forward as a witness to Gameshi uh, alleged abuses, has not participated. He's chosen to not participate in the CBC's internal investigation of Gameshi because he does not consider that internal investigation to be valid. He is cooperating with the Crown and with the cops, but not with the CBC. And then on Wednesday, we published a story by Sean Craig. I'm so happy to publish this. Sean worked in incredibly hard. It's an incredibly meticulously reported piece on the wind government here in Ontario, a bit more Toronto centrism, uh, Ontario centrism. Sorry, JJ. Uh, the wind government had been promising anti-slap legislation. So you couldn't sue people with these slap suits uh, for libel or defamation for crazy sums just to shut them up. She watered down the bill. And as a result of the way that she watered it down, the bill can't be used against her own lawsuit against Tim Hudak. And it also follows some stuff that happened between a lobbyist and donor to the Liberal Party, a lobbyist and donor who also opposed this bill. And you can read all three of those pieces at CanadaLandShow.com. That was the scene, bizarre scene in the House of Commons today. You don't see that too often. That was a Conservative MP looking up. What he saw was a woman bearing her breast with a protest written across her chest. She was protesting the government's anti-terror bill. The group is called Femin, and she's a self-described sex extremist. 
No question, of course, it grabbed attention. There's lots of articles, and, and I know a lot of you are going to tweet, why are we giving this attention? But it's interesting. Joining me now again for the second time, Netta Topolovsky. She is with Femin Canada, and she protested in Parliament today, Bill C-51. Okay, so JJ. Yo. So you feel that this woman, Topolovsky, I, th I think that actually is her name, whose form of protest was to write on her tits her criticism of C-51 and storm Parliament is a representative C-51 protester who the press should be giving more attention to because that would more accurately describe the anti-C-51 uh, movement. I think that this, that the kind of mindset that this woman represents is in fact a significant component of the anti-C-51 movement. And I think that you've seen this because you've seen, for instance, when they have these big you know, protests in Ottawa and whatnot, when you actually have independent reporters who actually go up there and stick the mic in front of the faces of some of these folks, the kind of things they say are just nuts. Like a lot of these people are nuts. Like they believe insane things about what this bill is and about what the agenda of the conservative government is in, in general, right? Like they believe really crazy lunatic things. And I think that, as I said, I think there is a problem when the media, you know, sort of constructs all opposition to this bill as being reasonable and as being sensible and as being rooted in just basic, you know, common sense measured critiques. I do think that there is an aspect of the left in this country, certainly an aspect of, uh, of the left that criticizes this government as sort of virulently as this woman seems to. Like, I do think that this is a, it's a significant component. And I do think that it has to be, you know, acknowledged and has to be addressed. Do you, does that sound wrong to you? I mean, you must encounter these kinds of people. I mean, you're a smart guy, but you must sort of cer certainly travel in, in sort of progressive circles where you hear people say things about this government as much as you may disagree with it or as much as you may disagree with Bill C-51. You must say like, whoa, 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 like tone this down a little bit. You're, you're going too far. Well, let's take that apart. We should distinguish here that you're defining anti-C-51 stuff as uh, coming from the left. I mean, wanting government to not be collecting and sharing and intruding and disrupting is very consistent with conservative ideology that would want government out of our lives as much as possible. So, okay, but I'll answer your question. Yeah, there are nutcases uh, on the left and, and uh, it seems like somebody who's at least a, a radical fringe, uh, I won't call her a nutcase, but uh, Topolowski or whatever, um, you know, might qualify and certainly got her share of, of attention. But does it fit into a broader narrative, though, is my question, right? Like, like is, she, is she seen as being representative of the opposition or is she seen as just kind of like a one-time sort of nutcase that we could ignore? That's my question, right? I just feel like if when it goes the other way, you know, when you've got like the people say that, that wave the, uh, you know, the bloody fetus pictures that protest the anti-abortion and this kind of thing, I think that there's a real tendency on the part of the media, on the part of sort of liberal commentators in the media to sort of say, aha, we've seen sort of the, you know, the, the pro-life movement at its most truest form, right? And I just feel like that's not the case with, with when we look at left-wing protesters, that there's a tendency to kind of dismiss the, fr the flakes as being much less representative than I think they often are. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a couple of things here. I mean, one being crazy radical conspiracy fears about the intrusion of uh, the state via C-51. Well, like what? Like the idea that the government is snooping on all of our communication and wantonly sharing it in between departments and perhaps in between governments. 
that is a paranoid uh, extreme fear that happens to be absolutely justified because that's happening. No, that, 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 is, that, is, that is like a mischaracterization. Like what people are fearing is that they will like go to jail if they post like an anti-Harper, you know, picture on their Facebook wall. That is like, that is, I think, a large part of what people are rallying against. People are not engaged with this as a sophisticated sort of question of civil liberties and the correct balance between, you know, safety and, uh, you know, free expression in a democratic society. No, they, they literally have this very totemic, demonized idea of what they think Stephen Harper is, what they think Stephen Harper is all about, and they fear that. They fear the sort of nightmare, far-right, you know, radical Christian theocracy, whatever they dream up. That is a huge part of it. This is what people, when people on the right talk about uh, Harper derangement syndrome, there is a kind of loathing of this man on such a profound level that it makes people believe very irrational things. And I think that there's a problem, because I do agree, there is legitimate criticism to have of Bill C-51. But the problem is, is that that is, uh, you know, critics of the bill, the reasonable critics are too often quick to make an alliance with a lot of the lunatic people. I think that there is a tendency, for instance, a lot of these sort of mass protesters to regard this as a legitimate expression, to regard this as a sort of a mandate for the views that, uh, that the more reasonable critics have. You know, it's a, it's a very subjective thing for us to try to guess, you know, how reasonable, what's in the hearts and minds of the thousands, if not tens of thousands of protesters who uh, have been rallying and, and speaking up uh, across this country. What's a lot easier to quantify is we seem to be in, in disagreement about how the media is characterizing it. You're saying that they're making it sound too reasonable. And I'm saying that they're picking on some of the most extreme and titillating uh, aspects of the protest, maybe in an effort to like, you know, dismiss these protesters and make them look as silly as possible. And I can actually qualify that with the number of media stories. I mean, just like when the Globe and Mail ran this Angus Reid poll, which they said, oh, it shows that this bill has overwhelming Canadian support, that resulted in 166 articles. You know, the entire mainstream media picked up that poll. When a forum poll showed the opposite, that over time, the uh, support had decreased from 82% in February to 45% in March, that in fact, people are increasingly turning against this bill. Uh, that got picked up by, according to Google News, 10 sources, only one of which was mainstream. And I don't put that much stock in either of these polls, but one kind of conclusion is widely picked up and one kind of conclusion is not. So what does that tell you? Well, I mean, that forum poll was quite interesting as well because that poll, that was the poll that was commissioned by Vice, I believe. And if you actually read the questions in that poll, that poll was just so brazenly a push poll. Every single question was a leading question. Every single question was like, you know, this bill is going to rob you of this civil liberty. Do you agree with that? Yes or no? And so, of course, it got the predictable results that it was intended to get. I do think, though, that like, for instance, when you read sort of the mainstream media coverage of, say, these big mass demonstrations that prop up from time to time, and you sort of see the quotes that make it into the final story. It'll often be like, you know, a guy who says, oh, gee whiz, I'm concerned about my civil liberties, and, you know, this bill goes too far, I think. It will never be a quote from someone who's like, ah, the government, you know, is putting mind control chips in their putting fluoride in the water and it's going to get blah, 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 blah. Like you don't get those kind of voices reflected in the mainstream coverage of a lot of the opposition. You know, I don't necessarily think it's, it's a, a partisan thing or a, an ideological thing per se. I just do think that the media sort of has an apprehension about sort of frankly portraying sort of the more lunatic aspects of society, maybe because they view this as a mental health thing. I don't know. But I'm just saying that I don't hear those like the crazy voices reflected 
in the mainstream narrative of why are people opposing this particular bill. Aren't you afraid of C-51? No, I'm not, because I think that, again, the bill says very explicitly that this is not a bill that is concerned with legitimate dissent. It is not a bill that is concerned with, you know, the legitimate exercise of of free opinion or or political uh, opposition to this government or any government. The bill says so, so explicitly. And that's just what I find so disingenuous, is that nobody's talking about that. Nobody's talking about a bill that has a specific carve-out for all of the concerns that people have. People are willingly turning off their brain in a very particular way and sort of imagining sort of a nefarious agenda. They assume that this bill will be enforced in some sort of crazy, cynical way that I think defies any sort of understanding I have about the sort of society that we live in and also violates, again, the letter of the law itself. So I do think that this is largely just a sort of standard, we hate Harper kind of thing that is just clinging to, you know, the latest uh, news story and sort of you know, going from there. But that's not true. That The bill allows for sharing of all this surveillance, uh, CSEC included, so they get everything. If you're disrupting the economy, if you're disrupting Canada's industrial uh, goals, then they have the right to share this information to like transport Canada and the Canadian Revenue Agency. And they don't have a great track record of, 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 of data hygiene and actually securing that information. The bill is, you know, the bill is coming forward in a very particular context, right? I mean, it's an anti-terrorism piece of legislation. It's designed to confront, you know, terrorists in the midst. I mean, that's why it's being drafted. And I think the sort of the lack of, I mean, the, the conscious lack of, of appreciating the context in which the bill arose in order to sort of weave these conspiracies of what if, what if, what if, what if. I just think that that's really disingenuous. And I mean, if maybe I could have been more sympathetic to the, to the, the critics of this bill, and I do think that there are some legitimate criticisms to be made, but I just feel the nature of the criticisms are just coming from people that just have no legitimacy in my eyes, certainly as a conservative. And so I just, I, I just don't give them that much time. I just see this as another instance of, of the Harper hate syndrome. When our spy agencies and authorities get more powers, that rarely gets scaled back. It only creeps further and further. So it's not some crazy sci-fi extrapolation to think that this will be abuse. It's, it's a certainty. I mean, that's what happens with these agencies when they become kind of extrajudicial forces. They become incredibly hard to rein in. You don't know what they're even doing. And it always gets used. I mean, the NSA was looking at pictures of their ex-girlfriends. Like that, that's, that's, it's not a fantasy, JJ. It's, it's what's already happening in our world. But it is sort of fundamentally, the criticism just seems uh, rooted in a speculation about motive and a speculation about enforcement. So I don't understand why your speculation of how this bill will be enforced is that much more valid than my speculation of how it will be enforced. I mean, ultimately, we're just speculating on unknowable realities about the future. All I can say is that perhaps I have more faith in our traditional institutions of our society of, of law enforcement and our intelligence agencies than you do. And I mean, this is, I think, increasingly a, a sort of ideological divide that defines society as we discuss some of these things. Some people are just perhaps for whatever reason more dispositionally sort of inclined to give the benefit of the doubt to some of these organizations and some people are inclined to assume the worst of them and to assume that they have nefarious or cynical motives. I just don't happen to share that perspective. That was your Canada Land Shortcuts. Uh, I hope you liked it. You can email me at jesse at jessebrown.ca I read them all. I respond when I can and I'm on Twitter at Jesse Brown. JJ, where can people find you? Uh, JJMcCullough.com The website is CanadaLandShow.com and the crowdfunding site is Patreon.com slash CanadaLand. As I record this, we're about $30 away from hitting $10,000 a month and becoming a news organization with a weekly politics show. If we're there by the time you hear this, then my God, thank you so much. The next episode of Canada Land will be up on Monday. I make the show this week with Katie Jensen. Hi, Katie. Hi. Thank you very much. If you like this show, 
Support it. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.